0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Today, I'm speaking with one of the speakers at our upcoming Advances in Inflammatory Bowel Disease meeting, Dr. Gaurav Sial, who is an assistant professor of medicine and a gastroenterologist with a focus on IBD at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, California. His session is titled, Dysplasia Surveillance in 2020, What Should We Be Doing? Let's dive in. To start, can you give us an overview of your session? What should gastroenterologists know about dysplasia surveillance in
1: 2020? As far as the overview of the session is concerned, I will be talking about the risk of dysplasia and IBD, which we know that is increased, but we'll be touching on some recent data about the risk of dysplasia in the era of effective treatments that we have currently. We'll also be talking about um, the risk factors for dysplasia development in patients with IBD. Um, We'll be touching upon the different surveillance modalities um, in patients with IBD, and which one should we be using in 2020. And then finally, we'll be talking about what when you detect a dysplasia on a surveillance colonoscopy, what should you do?
0: Let's go a little bit deeper. So you said um, that you were going to talk about the surveillance modalities. What kind of surveillance modalities do you have, and how do you foresee them being used in 2020?
1: I think in in 2020, almost everybody is using high-definition colonoscopes, so I don't think we need to talk about the standard deaf um, colonoscopes which were um, used a long time ago, and a lot of research used that, those to compare the current modality. So the modalities that I think we practically have at this time are the high definition white light colonoscopy, and then the second one would be high definition white light colonoscopy with the addition of narrow band imaging, which is a proprietary of Olympus and is, is commonly used. And the third one is high definition with chromoendoscopy. So these are the three which are available and have some research regarding which one is effective. And as far as which one should we be doing, in the last 10 years or so, there have been actually several randomized controlled trials, which is the highest degree of evidence we seek in, in medicine, comparing these three modalities. And to summarize it, the high definition white light endoscopy by itself compared to chromoendoscopy the randomized t- trial suggests that there perhaps is not a, a significant benefit to using chromoendoscopy over high-definition white light endoscopy. Previously, the non-randomized studies had suggested that there there may be benefit in chromoendoscopy over the high-definition white light endoscopy, but in the randomized trials, it hasn't panned out. And as far as the NBI is concerned, there have been a couple of randomized trials comparing chromoendoscopy and NBI, and they suggest that both are equivalent. So so in essence, if we look at the strict evidence, there is no one modality which is the best. But if you keep in mind that there is still some evidence, non-randomized evidence from The past which suggests chromoendoscopy may be better, um, if you have the expertise and the availability, then using chromoendoscopy or NBI may have slight benefit over just using, you know, high-definition white light colonoscopy. The most important thing, I think, is to do a good examination, spend time looking at the colon and trying to find subtle lesions, and I think if somebody doesn't have the availability of NBI or, or chromoendoscopy, that by itself should be sufficient.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so then let's talk a little bit more about why dysplasia surveillance is important in 2020.
1: It's been long known that patients who have ulcerative colitis, which extends beyond the rectum, so either people who have left-sided colitis or, or extensive colitis, are at increased risk of uh, dysplasia and colon cancer development. And similarly, there is also data that people who have Crohn's disease uh, involving the colon, especially when it's involving more than 30 to 50% of their colon, also have a similarly increased risk of dysplasia. Recent data suggests that the older data probably overestimated the risk. So the risk is still thought to be one and a half to two times higher than age and sex standard, standardized risk of uh, colon cancer, but the risk is much smaller than it was previously thought. So, yeah, based on the recent data, both from Europe and from the United States, the risk is still increased, and, and that's why we still need to continue the dysplasia surveillance in 2020.
0: That's interesting. So why do you think that the risk was previously overestimated?
1: Right. Yeah, I think that a lot of that has to do with the use of effective medical therapies that were not available at that time, and now with the in the era of biologic therapy, we are able to get people to not only clinical remission, but a lot of people to endoscopic remission and some people to even histologic remission. Recent data also suggests that the visible inflammation or macroscopic inflammation and histologic inflammation is associated with an increased risk of colon cancer. And with the use of better medical treatments, we are able to bring down the inflammation better. And as a result, now we are seeing much lower risk of dysplasia than it was previously thought.
0: That's great. Do you think biologics played a role in
1: that? Yeah, I, I I definitely think so. You know, there was data previously suggesting that people who were on mesalamines had a lower risk of developing cancer. And then there was a study from France from the uh, Sesame cohort, which suggested that people who were on thiopurines also had a lower risk of uh, l- dysplasia development in long term. We know that the biologics are more effective than both mesalamine and thiopurines. So so even though there are no direct studies correlating biologics with the recent decrease in the risk of cancer, I, I think that it's, it's pretty clear that the effectiveness of biologic has a lot to do with driving down the risk of dysplasia.
0: Awesome. That's great. Um, okay. So then moving on, what else should gastroenterologists know about your session?
1: As I initially said, that patients with IBD um, with ulcerative colitis who have disease extending beyond the rectum, and with Crohn's disease who have more than 30 to 50% of their colon involved, um, should undergo uh, dysplasia surveillance after having the IBD diagnosis for eight years or longer. And as far as the, the surveillance modalities, um, NBI or endoscopy may have a slight edge over high-definition white light colonoscopy alone, but in the absence of those, a good exam with high-definition white light endoscopy is going to be sufficient in most cases, so that's one. The other important thing is that dysplasia surveillance intervals should be individualized based on patient's risk factors. So, so various risk factors for development of dysplasia include uh, the extent of disease. So pe- people with colitis who have more extensive disease or pancolitis have the highest risk. Those who have active inflammation have a higher risk than those who have quiescent disease. Patients who have PSC appear to be at a pretty high risk. Those who have family history, especially with the first degree relative that being diagnosed with colon cancer have a higher risk and um, presence of certain anatomical abnormalities like development of strictures or extensive pseudopolyps. Uh, these factors do increase the risk of um, colon cancer, and we should keep these factors in mind when we talk to patients about how frequently should we survey um, their colon for dysplasia. Uh, typically recommended interval is between one to three years, but again, it could be one year in patients who have multiple risk factors or have PSC, or it could be three years in patients who have, let's say, le- left-sided disease and, and generally have quiescent colitis so that's the second the third i already touched upon would be that psc patients should start the dysplasia surveillance at the time of their ibd diagnosis and subsequently should have annual surveillance colonoscopies the next one would be the role of random biopsies which were previously recommended by all guidelines more recent literature suggests that the role of random biopsies is unclear in a way that the yield of random biopsies seems to be fairly low so we so we don't know whether random biopsies are still important in the era of advanced endoscopic techniques like, you know, high-definition scopes and NBI and chromoendoscopy. So, most of the guidelines are sort of not recommending for using the random biopsies at this point, but are also not recommended necessarily against them. Another very important point is that most of the dysplasia dysplastic lesions that are found in patients with long-standing IBD are visible. There are several studies which suggest that over 90% of the lesions can be seen with the improved endoscopic imaging modalities that we have right now. And, And perhaps that's why the random biopsies have limited yield, if any. The patients who have dysplastic lesions resected or removed during the colonoscopy should have a higher risk of developing dysplasia or colon cancer. And they should have at least one follow-up colonoscopy within a short period of time, maybe within six months. And if the capabilities are available, then uh, it should be with chromoendoscopy. And if the subsequent surveillance colonoscopy with, with chromoendoscopy does not suggest any uh, dysplasia, then those patients can go back to having annual surveillance procedures. And the last thing which I want to make a point about is that patients who have unresectable dysplasia, so you, whether the dysplasia is visible or not, but it is determined that it is not removable endoscopically, or those patients who have multifocal dysplasia are best referred to colectomy because their risk of developing cancer is fairly high, despite the use of surveillance. So those are the few important point, takeaway points from my talk.
0: Great. Thank you so much for talking to me today about your session.